Good afternoon. It is certainly a joy and a blessing to be here today. Um, there, there's no more wonderful way to spend Father's Day than to worship our Heavenly Father. Uh, and we are so extremely thankful for the family that we're able to be a part of, this, this family of love that, that God has created. We uh, talked last week about the concept of local church membership. We talked about the what, the why, and the, the how of local church membership, or, or the definition, demands, and, and determination. Uh, and I, I hope what we accomplished in that, uh, and what, what we can see in that, is that the, the local church is God's design. It's not something that we came up with, and uh, certainly our, our goal is that Everything that we do as a local body is, is what God has shown us in the, in the pattern of his word. And since it is God's design for his people that we be a body, that we be a family, that we be a flock, we, we can't fully fulfill our responsibility to the Lord unless in time we, we join ourselves to a, a group in that way. But, but today I want us to move on and talk about local church membership 102. And whereas we talked about kind of the, the, the what, the why, and the how in our previous lesson, I want us to, to zoom out a little bit and look at simply the, the blessings and the responsibilities of church membership. Go beyond mere definition and get to some application. Um, okay, so I, I am a member of the church, or I'm thinking about becoming a member of a local church. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, why is it that God designed it that way? And how do I fit in? Uh, because local church membership is more than just having your name on a directory somewhere or, or having access to the members page on our website. Uh, it involves a much greater uh, responsibility and role in God's family. And so let's talk about the blessings and the responsibilities and, and I think we'll, we'll see that this is not intended to just be a mere obligation that God has given us. This is something that is intended to be a great blessing for us uh, and something that we should want, something that we should be eager to engage in. And so we're going to talk about this in the context of a family, of a body, and of a flock. So what are the blessings of church membership? Why is it that God designed it this way? Well, first of all, we, we are able to have the love and support of a spiritual family. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, here in context, Jesus had just spoken with the, the rich young ruler, and you remember that he asked what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Uh, and Jesus tells him to, to follow the, the commands. He says, well, what do I still lack? He says, if, if you want to have treasure in heaven, then sell all that you possess, give to the poor, and come follow me. But he leaves uh, because he has great possessions. And so Jesus makes the statement that it's very difficult for the wealthy to enter into the, the kingdom, more difficult than for a camel going through the eye of a needle. And, and Peter speaks up and says, well, what about us? We've looked at all that we've left to follow you. And notice what Jesus then says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Peter had said in verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What is Jesus talking about there? He says in this present time, if you leave these things, if you're willing to to sacrifice and follow me, to take up your cross and follow me, then you're going to receive a hundredfold, a plentiful harvest of houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Is Jesus here teaching a health and wealth gospel? That if, if, if you follow me, then, you know, you're going to have a, a summer house and a, a winter house and you're going to, you know, uh, have all the land that you want. Well, no, he, he even says with persecution. In fact, it may mean that you are separated from your earthly family. It says elsewhere that he came not to bring peace but a sword, that families would be divided over their devotion to Christ. Uh, It may be that like Jesus, you don't have a place to lay your head. Um, Even though the the foxes have their dens and the birds of the air have their nest. Uh, It may be that we are greatly persecuted. So what does he mean here when he says that we'll have a hundredfold of brothers and sisters and mothers and houses. I think here Jesus is speaking spiritually, not physically. It may be that we lose a great deal of these things on a physical level, but we gain them in a spiritual level. That all those who are part of the family of God become part of our family, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers. And even though we may be persecuted in a way that that we don't have a place to lay our head, we'll have houses all across the world of brethren who are willing to to welcome us in, that we can eat at their tables. I think that's the principle that we see here. We actually see this same concept earlier in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 and verses uh, 3 through 35. Here in, in verse 33, some came to Jesus in verse 31 and 32, saying, your mothers and brothers want to come see you. And in verse 33, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus puts a greater emphasis on the the spiritual familial bond that we have with those who are fellow followers of Christ. And so you may not have a home or a bed to lay your head on. You may not have the physical necessities of life. There is going to be persecutions, but you will have brothers and sisters around the world who will open their homes to you. And so that's one of the great blessings, even in the present time that God has given us, of a family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul told Timothy, as he is working with the church, In verse 1, appeal to older men as fathers, to younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. He says you you should be able to treat one another as brothers and sisters. And brethren, that's more than just calling each other brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so. I I don't have a a problem with us doing that. Perhaps that's a good reminder of the relationship that we're supposed to have. But it's more about how we treat one another than just what we call one another, right? When I call up Eric on the phone in Puerto Rico, I don't say, hey, brother Eric, how are you doing? You know, well, no, I treat him like my brother. I have a relationship with him like my brother. And that's what the focus is. 
we should have that type of support system. That even if our physical families aren't all that God intends for them to be, we have that spiritual family of support and encouragement. First, Timothy, uh, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 14 Peter says there, towards the end of his letter, greet one another with a kiss of love. You remember Paul, many times at the end of his epistles, says, greet one another with a holy kiss. What's that all about? Well, I I think we need to understand that certainly we uh, are seeing this command in a different cultural context that they lived in in their day than ours. It may not apply to us in the same way physically, because that's not how we would normally show a a warm familial greeting today. Uh, But the principle still applies. The command still applies. It's not that, well, we're not in the same context, so it, it just doesn't apply to us at all. Well, no, what he's saying is you need to actively show this type of attachment, this type of relationship, this type of love for one another, even in the way that you're greeting one another. And so we need to have that kind of relationship with one another. We need to grow to, to uh, support and encourage one another. And such, that can be such a blessing to us. That we can have that close-knit relationship with God's people. That, that is grounded and rooted in something much stronger than a physical genetic bond. It's grounded in the love of God as the patriarch of this heavenly family. And so we can have a sense of welcome, a sense of belonging among God's people, God's family. And along with that, there is a great spiritual nourishment that God designed for us to have within his body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is perhaps the passage that shows us most thoroughly this illustration of the the church as a body. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 14, We're told the body is not one member, but many. Later on in verse 18, he says, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. This is God's design. Uh, In his wisdom, he knows what we need. And he designed us with different abilities, different roles in the body that we might grow. The, The whole body is not one member, not an eye, not an ear, but we have different strengths and different weaknesses, different areas that we're able to serve that we can help each other grow effectively. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21 and 22. Verse 21 and 22, we read, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or the feet, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. Brethren, we need one another. And God designed it that way. God designed us to be able to find that nourishment and encouragement from each other. He says even the weaker parts are necessary. Necessary for what? Why, why are they needed? What, what is the end goal of this body relationship? Well, I think we can see even more clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, if you'd like to turn your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 4, again, he uses this illustration of the body. And notice what he says in verse 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 15. We read, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that language there? Each and every part, each and every joint, each and every ligament, as God designed it, is able to, to work together to help the body grow. I can't grow the way that I need to without the body, without God's design of people that have different strengths and different weaknesses that are, they are bringing to the table to help me grow. And in the body illustration, if, if you're going to be nourished, you need the eyes to, to find the nourishment. You need your, your feet to take you there. You need your hands to pick it up. You need your mouth to, to eat it. And you need a whole host of other body parts to digest it and, and, and put it into action. That's what God designed for us. That each of us be there to help uh, us grow spiritually in our service to him. And that's really one of the main purposes of the local assembly is that we edify and encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 talks about let us consider one another. Let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. And so can, can you imagine for a moment if you were to come to the assembly every week to worship, but you were the only one here? And you came in the doors and you sat down and you sang the songs and you prayed and you studied from the scriptures and then, then you went and you remember the Lord's death and the Lord's supper and then you go back home. Would that be very edifying, very encouraging? Now certainly we need individual relationships with the Lord. We need to be cultivating that personal relationship with him. But that's not how God designed it. He didn't design it that each of us be sufficient on our own. He designed it for our good and for our growth that we be there to encourage one another. You know, the song leader is not going to be much of an encouragement just standing up here leading singing by himself. There's a reason that we're all engaged in that, that our prayers are not just something that one person is doing and we're all kind of the audience observing them. No, we're all doing that together. And that's how God designed it for our growth, for our edification, and even beyond the assembly. The, the local church is available for our encouragement and edification at all times. That's how a, a body is intended to function, not just one day a week. Hebrews 3 verse 13 talks about how we are to encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called the day. We have a, a host of people that are there to nourish and build us up and encourage us. And along with that, we have the protection and guidance of a flock. We talked a great deal about this as we were defining the concepts of local church membership. But if you look again in 1 Peter chapter 5, you remember he talks here about the concepts of shepherds, of elders. And he talks about how uh, in verse 2, they are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So God designed in, in a fully functioning congregation that we have older men who, who are qualified to, to be examples to the flock, to, to keep the flock accountable. And it's in that context that we then later on in verse 8 read about the roaring lion who's seeking to devour us. And so you get this full picture of how God designed this, this relationship of the flock to one another and to the shepherds in a way to protect them from the, the threat, uh, from the, the lion coming against them. 
And so we need people that are keeping us accountable. We need people that are uh, our spiritual example. Certainly, the chief shepherd is our greatest example, but God designed that we have other people in our lives that are there to, to make the example of Christ real to us, that we can look to different role models and examples of that type of character for our growth. But I want us for a moment, as we continue to think about this concept of, of the protection and accountability that we have with one another, to, to go back to Ecclesiastes, the passage that, uh, that was read to us earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Notice the emphasis that is put on the relationships that we can have with one another. And I think more than anything, we can apply this to the idea of us as a flock, uh, as a a body, and as a family. Here in verse 9, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no... Uh, not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. <coughs> the Bible puts a great deal of emphasis on the need for relationships. Uh, and more than anything, we, we need those relationships within the, uh, the flock of God. But you see there in verse 9, it says, because they have a good reward for their labor. Many hands make light work. God's design for these relationships that we have is going to make us more effective in accomplishing his work together. It says there in verse 10, and this gets back to this idea of accountability. It says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to the one uh, who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. God intends that we be close enough with one another that when one of us falls to temptation or in in trial or sorrow, that we can have that great blessing of dozens of hands ready to lift us up, to see that we've fallen, to reach out to us, uh, and to to lift us back up in our service to the Lord. In verse 11, it says that again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but one, can one keep warm alone? We may be able to make some spiritual application here in the dark, cold nights of life. We, we have the, the comfort, the encouragement, the warmth of our brethren there uh, to help us through those hard times. In verse 12, we see the idea of the spiritual battles that we face. Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Uh, and so we need the strength of one another fighting by our side as we face the spiritual battles of life from day to day. And so that's God's design. God's design is that we be there to protect and encourage, uh, keep one another accountable in our service to him. And we need that. God knows that we needed that. That's why God designed it in this way. And so this, as we talk about church membership, it's not just something that, well, yeah, I guess that's, that's the obligation. That's what God said I need to do. It's This is what is genuinely for our spiritual growth and for the spiritual growth uh, of those around us. But we can't have blessings without taking on responsibilities. 
So I want us to talk in the remainder of our time, well, what does that mean for me? If I want to have these blessings as God designed it, if I want to be part of a loving and supportive family, if I want to be nourished by the body, if I want the protection and guidance of a flock, what is required of me? And I think we'll see that the blessings correspond with the responsibilities. If I want the love and support of a spiritual family, guess what? I have to love and support my spiritual family. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, we're told, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. He says, since you have uh, had your souls purified, since you have been, been born again into a family of love, then you need to reflect that love. If we are born into the family of God, we need to reflect the character of God. We need to reflect the, the family values. And so if I want that support and I want that encouragement, then I need to have a fervent and passionate and sacrificial love for those around me, for my brethren. If you want to turn over to Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. Philippians chapter 2. Here it talks about the, the love and the attitude or the mind of Christ as we get into verse 5. But notice how he starts this passage. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is an if-then statement. Starting in verse 1, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Do you notice the if section of that passage? He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any comfort in love, if there is any participation or fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, that's not a, this might be the case, this might not be the case. And if it is, then you, you should probably act this way. He's saying this is the case. <laughs> this is the case that there is great encouragement, there is great comfort and fellowship as God designed it within his body. But you guess what? If you want that, then this is the attitude you need to have. If you want that, then this is the way you need to act. And so, brethren, if we want that kind of culture and that kind of atmosphere among God's people here, it starts with me. I think it's so easy for us to develop the mindset that the church is something outside of ourselves. That, the, you know, the, the way this church is and the culture that this church has isn't really dependent on me. It's kind of dependent upon everybody else. And I'm just kind of standing and judging whether or not I like the way this church is. No, when I talk about this church, that's me. That's you. And the way that the Lord's church here at Eastside is, is dependent upon how we act and how we treat one another. And so if we want this to be a loving and supportive family, then we need to get active in being part of one another's lives. In showing that love, in showing that selflessness, not doing anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but counting others more significant than ourselves. You see that in a familial relationship, right? A husband and wife 
are intended to put the needs of their spouse above themselves. They're more important than me. And I need to make sure that their needs are being met. Parents do that for their children. You know, it doesn't matter what it takes, what sacrifice needs to be made. I want to make sure that my children are taken care of. Well, that's the same attitude that we need in the body of Christ, in the family of God. That it's not just about, well, what, what do I get from you? It's about me making sure that I am going above and beyond to make sure that your needs are met. And showing that kind of love to you. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 tells us, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We need to outdo one another in showing honor, the ESV says. We need, we need to make it our priority to continually grow in our ability to show that love, to show how much we value one another in the way that we act from day to day. And so if I want that blessing of a loving and supportive family, I need to be that blessing of a loving and supportive family. And not only that, when we talk about the nourishment of a body, I have a responsibility to nourish the other members of the body. Remember we read in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, where it says, The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body. What's going to make the body grow? Well, he says, every joint with which it is equipped, uh, every individual part doing its proper work, every joint, every ligament, every tendon, whatever part of the body that I am, if this body is going to grow, if it's going to be nourished, then it, it takes me. It takes each and every one of us. It's not that you know, one or two parts of the body can, can just do, do that work. It's not this idea of a business where you have your consumers and your employees. It's this picture of everyone working actively together. That's how the body is going to grow. And he, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn over there for a moment. Romans 12, starting in verse 4. Again, it talks about this illustration of the body. And it says in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God designed it that we each have different gifts. We each have different strengths and weaknesses, different roles. And what happens is if we you know, just kind of re- rely on one or two parts of the body to, to you know, take, take the lead in that, then we're missing a lot of strengths and a lot of gifts and a lot of roles that God intended. Uh, you're going to have a very imbalanced body, right? If, if uh, we, we don't all actively engage in that together. And so that, that needs to be my attitude. Many, many times when we talk about the assembly, we talk about why people need to be in the assembly, our, our first answer to that often is, well, you need the assembly. 
You need to be encouraged. You need to be built up, and that's true. God designed it for your growth, but that's not all. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. My focus when I come to the assembly is not just, am I getting what I need? It's, am I giving what others need? And brethren, an, an empty chair can't fulfill that responsibility. I, I want to, just for a moment, m- mention this in the context of our current situation. Because I, I am extremely thankful for the way that we've been able to work through this current situation, that we've been able to use Zoom, and I'm thankful that we still have people who are able to connect in that way. Um, And I I recognize that there are are differences in needs on a medical level, um, and I I appreciate what we're able to do in that regard. I'll tell you what I'm concerned about, though. I'm concerned that we may unintentionally develop the mindset that if I'm able to consume the assembly, that I'm fulfilling my responsibility. That's not God's design. And so while it is a wonderful blessing at times, and it's something that I think we should use, have been able to use, and it's such a blessing that we have, I think we need to realize that that can't be a long-term solution. That, that it's not that you know, we, we could just forever and ever connect from afar and still be fulfilling our responsibility. Well, no, because it's a two-way street, right? Coming to the assembly is not, it shouldn't be, even when I'm here, a one-way thing. If it is, then there's a problem. God's design is that when I come to the assembly, I'm not just thinking about what am I getting out of this. I'm thinking, what am I giving to my brethren to encourage and build them up? And so even when times at, are necessary for us to, to use that, uh, and, and I, I don't want to come across the wrong way. I'm, I'm just saying what I'm concerned that we can develop the wrong mindset about it. We need to recognize that my responsibility to the assembly is more than consuming the assembly. It's building up the body. It's encouraging the body. And so every way that we're able to, not just while we're here, but in all the times in between, God's design for, for this body is not, not just on Sundays or on Tuesdays or on kind of the more clear-cut opportunities that we have, we should be encouraging and building up one another. We need to be the kind of body that is reaching out and encouraging one another, is doing our parts on a day-to-day basis and helping this body grow. And so if I want that nourishment and that encouragement, I need to be thinking daily about what I can do to give that kind of encouragement, to consider how I can stir one another up to love and good works. If I want that blessing, I need to be that blessing to somebody else. And thirdly, we need to protect our fellowship. If we want the protection of a flock, we need to be giving that to others. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. We talked about this some last time, but I want to reiterate some of these ideas. In verse 1 and 2, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? That we... Bear one another's burdens, that we show that type of love for one another. And specifically here in this context, 
That's that we look out for one another's spiritual well-being. When somebody is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, and he's not just talking to certain ones, that should describe each and every one of us. We have a responsibility to reach out when I see that my brother is struggling, when I see that my brother has fallen. That illustration of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this needs to be the kind of relationship where I'm able to, to reach out and lift him up. And God has given not just elders, not just shepherds that responsibility. He's given each and every one of us that responsibility to keep each other accountable. He makes it very straightforward for us in Matthew chapter 18. It's amazing to me how simple God's pattern for this is. In Matthew 18, he states very clearly what we need to do when my brother or sister has sinned against me. He says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You know, that, that statement is fairly simple, fairly straightforward. If my brother has, has sinned against me, if I'm aware of him having fallen, I need to go and talk to him. That's not easy in practice, though, is it? Very rarely is this the way things go, unfortunately. We, we often... If I recognize that my brother has fallen, well, it's none of my business. Well, no, in the flock of God, in the body, the family that we are, it is my business to make sure that he's doing okay spiritually, to care about the well-being of his soul. And so God has given me a responsibility to reach out to them. And if they hear me, I've won my brother, but, but if not, God gives me further responsibilities in that regard. Maybe I need to reach out to somebody with more spiritual wisdom, somebody that has a closer relationship with them, that every word can be established, that they can help us work through this situation. And if they don't hear that, then this needs to be made public to the church. And if, even after taking it to the church, they do not hear, uh, then what we might refer to as church discipline needs to take place. Brethren, that's God's design. Let's make sure that we're following God's design. If I want others to be there to reach out and lift me up, I need to do the the difficult work of reaching out and lifting others up. And that may be uncomfortable. That may be difficult. That may take a great deal of of wisdom and and trying to season my speech with, with grace, but it needs to be done. That's what God has told me to do. And the goal in this is not you know, to kind of check all these things off to the list so that we can boot my brother out. That's the last resort. The goal, very clearly, is to win my brother, to get him back, to restore. It's very easy to rebuke. It's very difficult to restore. And yet that's what God has called us to do. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14 and 15, we're told, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 
there's a certain amount in which God intends for this brother or sister who is continuing in sin to be put to shame. But brethren, that's not the end goal. <laughs> that's not the end within itself. That is a means unto an end, that they might be put to shame in order that they may repent. He says that where I'm to go on, my responsibility doesn't end there. I'm to admonish him as a brother, not regard him as an enemy. And so if I want to be a part of the, the safety of a, of a flock that protects one another, then I need to be doing my part to follow God's pattern of, of reaching up and restoring those who are caught in sin. And that, that brings us to one last point that I think goes on the opposite end of this. That means I also need to be accountable to my brother. Maybe I'm not the one who is reaching out to the fallen. Maybe I'm the one who has fallen. Maybe I'm not the one who is approaching someone else about their sin. Maybe I'm the one whose sin needs to be addressed. And in that situation, I, I need to fulfill the hard obligation of humbling myself to, to listen to the rebuke of God's word, um, to allow somebody to come and, and help restore me uh, and bring me back to where I need to be spiritually. And we see that time and time again in the scriptures, the, the passage that we looked at um, last time about church leadership in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I need to listen and submit to leadership. That, that means I need to allow somebody else to be accountable for my soul. I need to allow somebody else to, to look at what's going on in my life and look out for my spiritual well-being. That's what God designed for me. And even in the absence of qualified men to fill that role, we still need to submit to one another. And 1 Peter 5, in verse 5, after he's talked about elders, he says, you younger men will likewise be subject to your elders. But then he says, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. This isn't just... I need to submit to those positions of leadership. I need to humble myself before my brethren in the same way. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So this idea of subjection or submission is something that doesn't just apply in those who are appointed leaders of the congregation. It really applies in my relationship with, with all of my brethren that I have the humility to accept their uh, correction, to accept them keeping me accountable in my spiritual walk. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6, we're told, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Brethren, if, if you've never had a brother or a sister say something that was hard for you to hear. Say something that kind of offended you, saying so, something that made you somewhat defensive, then you probably don't have brothers and sisters who really care about you. Because what God says is that if we genuinely care for one another, then we're going to say the hard things. And if we see something in someone else's life where they have fallen, 
Then in love and humility, recognizing our own faults and imperfections, as Galatians 6 says, I need to do the hard thing of reaching out and helping that person grow. Let, let's create that culture here. Not, not, not a prideful, self-righteous that I'm going to look around and I'm going to see what everybody else is doing wrong. And I'm going to make sure that I tell them. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about genuinely caring for the spiritual well-being of my brothers and sisters. To the extent that we're willing to have some honest conversations about how each other is doing spiritually, how I'm doing spiritually. We're willing to help each other, to be accountable to one another in that way. Brethren, that's God's design. That's what God desires of us. And so, what about you? Do you want the blessings of a loving and supportive family? Do you want the, the blessings of the nourishment and, and, and growth of the body working together? Do you want the blessings of the protection and accountability of a flock? Well, then it's sort of going to require that each and every one of us do our part in that. This isn't like membership at your local library. You know, this, this isn't like being a member of AAA where you just kind of get your card and you get the benefits. We're talking about being a family, about being a flock, about being a body. And so if you are a member of this flock, think seriously about fulfilling that role and how you're fulfilling that role from day to day. And if you're not and you want to become a member of this flock, uh, know that, that we want to be what God wants us to be. And if there is an area that we need to change and grow in that, then that's what we want to do. But certainly, the end goal is not, as we said before, not to, to bigger and better the East Side Church of Christ. The end goal is that we help people become part of the one flock of God. That we all see one another in heaven someday. And so our primary concern is not... What happens in these four walls is not uh, just, you know, the, the future of the Eastside Church of Christ. Uh, our primary concern is helping each other grow spiritually, shining God's light, and helping others come to know him. And so if you recognize today that you're not in a right relationship with the Lord, know that he wants to welcome you in as his sheep. If you're willing to confess your sins, to confess your belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, you can bury the old man of sin in baptism and be raised to walk in newness of life. And if you've done that, but in some way you haven't been living it, if there's anything that we as a family can do to help you grow, uh, please won't you let us know that we can pray for you, that we can uh, encourage you and help you in any way. If anybody is subject to the invitation, needs to make something known at this time, won't you please do that as we sing together?